This podcast is brought to you by Living Waters Church, Kyabram. You can visit us at www.lwkyabram.com. I mean, I've entitled my message tonight, Rich. Rich. Any rich people here? I just want to let you know on a little secret that if you've got any change in your pocket, anyone got any change in their pocket? We don't carry change so much anymore. If you've got any uh, amount of money in your bank account, if you have a set of keys on you tonight, that places you in the top 5% of the wealthy people in our world. Isn't that amazing? So basically, what? because I'll say that again because it might have just brushed over what I said. If you have any money in the bank tonight, like any money, any amount, if you're carrying any change on you today, and especially if you've got a set of keys on you, whether it's for a house, whether it's for a car, whether it's for a boat, whether it's for a motorbike, whatever it may be, that places you in the top 5% of the wealthy people in our world. When I heard that statistic a number of years ago, I went, wow, because my keys are full. My key ring, I mean, we've got some little kids at the moment staying with us for a little while, and they looked at my key ring the other day and they said, you've got a lot of keys. And I said, that's correct. I have a lot of Keys. In actual fact, my keys, I've got so many keys that I have two key rings. I've got those that I use all the time and then I've got those that I use occasionally. And so we need to understand that in life we are well off. You are well off. Now you might say to me, Pastor Trevor, I don't feel like I'm well off. Well, that's irrelevant how you feel. The truth is that if you have possessions, and especially if you have a house or a car or that sort of thing, then it places you in the top 5% of the, of the wealthy people in our world. So tonight I'm going to look at a rich man. And so we're going to turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. You'll have to excuse me. My voice is a bit weird tonight. I went down uh, to Festival Hall last weekend and sat around with four and a half thousand other young people and I think someone gave me the lurgy. One of these young people spat on me or something like that and I came home and it was like by, by um, I think it was by Monday night, I'm thinking to myself, I don't feel too good and I've been suffering all week just because of you young people, whichever one it was that gave me that. Um, so if my voice gives out tonight, um, you'll just have to tolerate it and put up with it. Because I used to say if my voice gives out, you'll have to forgive me, but I don't think it's a sin if my voice gives out, and so you'll just have to tolerate it. So if I sound a bit weird tonight, that's why. So in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, says these words, As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down, and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat, uh, you, must, you must not cheat, even in cards. Even if you play Uno, you know, you're not allowed to cheat. Honor your father and mother. Teach, uh, teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done. He told him, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. 
Now, this young man comes up to Jesus and he asks, I think, the most critical question that a human being can ask. The number one question that a human can ask, and this question is this, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What a great question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds because what he says is, he says, good teacher. And Jesus says, well, why are you calling me good? And this man actually had a gap in his theology. Now, when I use the word theology, what that simply means is knowledge of God. So you know how in church sometimes we use really big words? There's some words that it's like, and, and I'll let you know and see, I've been a pastor for a number of years and sometimes when visiting ministry here, here and they use a word, I've got to Google, I've got to look it up, I've got to think, well, what does that mean? Because that's a really long word. And when I was at school, once the words got past five characters, I started to struggle. And so that's why I love Google these days because I can just look it up and go, is that what it means? And so this man actually had a gap in his theology, had a gap in his knowledge about God. Because he comes to Jesus, who we understand was the Messiah, who we understand is God, but he comes and he says, good teacher. And so what he does is he comes to Jesus with the view, not that he's God, but he's actually a good person. He's actually a good teacher. And so his theology lacks something. And Jesus, I think the reason Jesus says, why do you call me good? Because only God is good. Jesus here is trying to bridge this man's theology and get him to see that not only was he a good teacher, but he was actually the Messiah. And so I guess my question to you tonight, because this is a critical question when it comes to what must we do to inherit eternal life, is how do we see Jesus? How do we view him? Because if Jesus is the saviour of the world, then We view him that way and so therefore it makes our pathway to salvation not only secure but also very narrow. Because in life sometimes people will say things like this. They'll say, well, there's many ways to get to heaven. Well, can I encourage you tonight? There's only one. There's only one way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. And so there is only one way that we can receive eternal life and that is through accepting Jesus as Lord and Saviour of our life. So how do we see him? And I guess at one point, Jesus asked his disciples this as well, and we don't have really time to fully unpick it tonight, but in Matthew chapter 16, we read an account where Jesus is talking with his disciples, and he actually asks his disciples a question. He says, who do men say I am? Now, when I read this, I can look at it this way. I can say, well, maybe Jesus was having an identity crisis in this moment. Maybe it was like he was saying, well, who do men say I am? Because I want to tell you, there's lots of conversation around who you are. There's lots of talk around who you are. Some people will say, you're a great person. Other people will say, well, you know what, you're a bit weird. Other people will say, well, you know, you're maybe an educated person or sometimes people will say, well, maybe you need to learn something else. And so Jesus asked this question to his disciples, who do men say I am? Now, he's not asking this question because of an inferiority complex in his life. He's actually asking this question to tease out of the disciples who do they think he is? Because what he goes on to say is, After they've said, well, some people say you're Elijah, 
Some people say you're one of the prophets. Others say you're Jeremiah or, you know, someone like that, someone great, someone important. Well, Jesus throws it back on them and he says, well, who do you say I am? And Peter says this. Peter answered, this is verse 16 of Matthew chapter 16. Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Can I encourage you tonight that when you settle who Jesus is, it makes it easy to follow him. (laughs) When you settle who Jesus is, when you understand that he is God, when you understand that he is the Messiah, that puts him in a category that no one else can be put in. Because see, God is not a man that he should lie. And so when God says he loves you, guess what? It's pretty simple. There's no trick questions here tonight, maybe. See, when when Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you, guess what he's going to do? He's going to make you. When Jesus says, you're the apple of his eye and he loves you passionately, guess what? You're the apple of his eye and he loves you passionately. Because see, the Bible says that in God there is no darkness, that God cannot lie. And so when Jesus speaks truth into your life, guess what it is? It's truth. So the question Jesus puts out to this young man basically is this question, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to believe my words or not? Because this young man understood the truth. He understood the word of God. When Jesus says, well, you need to follow the commandments, because in life we have commandments, do we not? You know, there's some commandments that are bigger than others. There's some commandments that are like, you know, because our society puts commandments upon us. When you're driving home tonight, there is a commandment that you may take notice of, but you may not. And that commandment is a little red stop sign on a corner. I don't know how many people roll through those stop signs. You know, because the rules are this, people. All four wheels must come to a stop. Young people who are on their L's, all four wheels must come to a stop. Not a roll, not a half stop, not just two wheels stopping, you know, front brakes and that's all. All four wheels must come. See, our society says that's a commandment. When you see that stop sign, you have to stop. You might say to me, Pastor Trevor, there's nothing coming. So you assume. Now, the reason some of our crossroads have stop signs and the reason some have give way signs, it's fine to roll through the give way sign but not through the stop sign because some corners are more dangerous than others. And so the commandment is this, is if there's a stop sign there, then you have to stop. And then there's other commandments, like the Ten Commandments. I reckon that the Ten Commandments are a great set of commandments that we can apply to our life and we can follow not the 10 suggestions, not the 10 theories. You know, because you think about the 10 commandments. If you apply just those 10 things to your life, then what you're going to be able to do is you're going to be able to not just live a life that's successful, but you're going to have peace with other people. I mean, think about do not lie, great commandment. Think about do not kill, great commandment. Think about do not steal, great commandment. Do not covet, great commandment. Have no other gods before him, great commandment. You know, honour your parents. Do not blaspheme. You know, there's commandments in the Bible that are heavier than the stop signs. There's commandments in the Bible that it's like, we need to follow them. And this young man, he actually says this to Jesus, I've followed all of those commandments from 
a very young age. But he understood that it wasn't just good enough to follow a set of rules. He understood that even though he'd followed all the rules to the letter of the T, dotted all the I's, crossed the T's, he understood that there was still a lack in his life. What was that lack? That lack was relationship. That lack was relationship. There was something in this young young man's life that got in between him and God, and that thing was possessions. See, good is not good enough. Just following the commandments are not good enough. We can be good and yet we can still have a gap in our relationship and in our life. We can still have that hole in our heart because we don't have relationship with God. Now, for this young man, it was possessions. Now, I've heard this scripture preached and if people want to go out and take it out of context and that, they will say things like, you should sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. I actually don't think that's what this scripture is saying. I actually don't think that this scripture is saying that every believer, every person that comes to Jesus should sell everything they've got and give it to the poor. I think that is a gross misunderstanding of this scripture. And if you've ever been taught that or if you've ever believed that from this scripture, I think you've taken it out of context. What this scripture is about, it's about finding out the things that get in the way of the relationship between you and Jesus. So for this young man, it was possessions. For this young man, he couldn't follow because he had too much stuff in his life. And so verse 22 of Mark chapter 10, I'll read it for you again. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had many possessions. And so I want to encourage you to take some time, whether it's tonight or whether it's tomorrow or whether it's the next day or sometime this week, do a little bit of homework. Who loves homework? Not one hand, not one hand. Well, I'm going to get my school teacher cap on. Here's some homework for you this week. Spend some time in the Holy Spirit. Spend some time in his presence. Hey, what are those things in my life that I have to give away? What are those things that if I'm going to follow you wholeheartedly, do I have to give up, that I have to let go of? Sometimes it's an attitude. Sometimes it's pride. Sometimes it is possessions. I went through a stage in life where I had a really nice guitar. In actual fact, this guitar was, uh, it was a God moment when I was younger and I, need, I needed a guitar and I walked into a shop in Shepparton one of the music shops that was there. I think it's now a sushi shop or something like that over in Shepparton. But I went in there and I said to the guy, do you have any guitars? He goes, I've got this second-hand Takamine guitar. It was a solid-top cedar, solid-top guitar. It, it was a beautiful guitar. I picked it up and I fell in love with it. And he goes, oh, I've got it here on consignment. The lady brought it. She's never played it. She only wants $250 for it. I said, sold. I shall buy it. Didn't have to bargain with him because I knew it was a good price. And then he brings out this case, lamb's wool line case. I mean, the case was worth $150 by itself. And so I thought, score. So I took this guitar home. I love that guitar. And the older it got, the more it mellowed, the more it got beautiful in its tone and that sort of stuff. And then there was a moment, like a number of years later, I'm talking 20 years later, after me playing this guitar, it being my guitar, God told me to give it away. And I went, what? My initial response was, get behind me, Satan. This is my guitar. 
This is my guitar. And so, uh, you know, this, this thing, and God, God was telling me, no, you need to give it away. And I said, I don't want to give it away. You gave me this guitar. I don't want to give it away. And for six months, I arm wrestled him. Honestly, for six months, I arm wrestled him. He's saying, give it away. I'm going, no, I'm not. He's saying, you need to give that guitar away. I'm saying, how dare you? And I'm saying, I'm having these sorts of conversations with God. And I found that my relationship with God was affected because of a guitar. Every time I went to him, guess what he said? Give the guitar away. Every time I went to praise and worship, guess what he said? How's that guitar going? Do you still have that guitar in your presence? Do you still have it? I would be in church raising my hands, worshipping Jesus, and all I could hear is the guitar in my head. Every time I'd go and pray, it'd be like, hey, Jesus, we need this. And he'd say, well, what about the guitar? And so for six months, I arm wrestled him. And in the end, I had to die to my desire for this guitar and I had to give it away. So I walked up to our music director who God told me to give it to and I said, God has told me to give you my guitar. And I gave her my guitar and I went home and my guitar didn't weep that day, I did. You know what she said to me? She said, I've been praying for six months that God would supply a guitar for me. And I'm going, really? What a surprise. She goes, no, honestly, Pastor Trevor, I've been praying. I've had this desire to learn guitar and I've been praying that I would have a guitar for the last six months. And I went, well, here's a guitar. And I went home and I went, duh I didn't say that to her, but I knew that I was delaying her promise by holding on to something that I had. And guess what? Praise and worship became sweet after that. Things became better. When I went to Jesus and prayed, he didn't have to say, how's that guitar going? We could talk about other things. We could talk about other things and other direction and other, you know, it was like it freed up my relationship with him. It was a possession that got in the way of my following. So I don't know what it is for you. It might not be nothing. You might be tracking really good and if that's you, then great. I celebrate that tonight. But I think it's a good audit, a good check for us to go back and say, hey, God, is there anything in the way of my heart and you? Just like this young man. See, I don't know about you, but I listen to the language that God uses for this young man. Sell all of your possessions and come follow me. If this young man had done that, maybe we would know him as one of the disciples because the language is the same. When he walked up to Peter, James and John who were fishing, he said, come follow me and I'll make you. And the Bible says they left their nets, they left the business they were in and they came and followed him straight away and we know them as Peter the Apostle, James, John the Apostles. So maybe this man might have been one of the 12. Who knows, there might have been 13 apostles if he would have followed Jesus. So our decisions to follow him requires us to let go of some stuff in our life so that we can hold on to the things that God wants us to hold on to. For us to accept the new, sometimes we've got to get rid of the old, is another way I can say it. Sometimes our life is so filled with stuff that we don't allow him in. We need to let go of some of that stuff so that we can allow him in. Let's look at a contrast story. Let's go to um, Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. We're going to finish up here tonight. I love this story. Luke 19, one of my favourite encounters. God has been taking me through a number of people encounters where he encountered them 
I've been learning so much about it just in the last few weeks in my study and in my um, devotional life. And this is one of the encounters that I love. Luke 19 verse 1 says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. Everyone say Zacchaeus. We know Zacchaeus' stories, do we not? Most of us do. He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had became, he, he had become very rich. Notice he was rich as well. So he had the same problem as this other man. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quickly come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Why do you think Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name? Because he was Jesus? That's probably a fair answer. I personally think that Jesus probably knew Zacchaeus' name real well because every time he went to Jerusalem, Zacchaeus ripped him off because he was the tax collector. He sat in the tax collector's booth and he would say, you need to pay your road tax or you need to pay your tax for coming into the city. And he would say things like this. The Rome, or he wouldn't say this, this is the way it worked. The Romans declared that the tax was $10. I'm going to charge you $20. Because the way the system worked was the Romans set the tax, the tax collector set the price, and they kept whatever the difference was. So if the Romans said it was $10 to go into Jerusalem that day and the tax collector made it $20, it was $10 for Rome and $10 for Zacchaeus. And I reckon Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name because Zacchaeus had ripped him off a number of times. And I know about you, but when people rip me off, I get to know their names. I do. I get to know who they are. I know who my tax collectors are. I know those ones who come to me and they demand a tax from my life. I know them by name. So I don't reckon Jesus had to move in the prophetic in this moment. I reckon he knew exactly where who he was. I reckon when he looked up in the tree and he saw the beady eyes looking down at him, he goes, that's Zacchaeus. I know those eyes. I know that face. Six, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be a guest of a notorious sinner. They grumbled. Oh, no. Fancy Jesus going to be a guest with a notorious sinner. What did Jesus come to do? Seek and save those who were lost. He came to save sinners. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people of their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. I reckon there would have been a line at Zacchaeus' door the next day. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today for this, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and save that which was lost. Now, I don't think that Zacchaeus' um, action of giving his money to the poor and giving away, you know, repaying that, that money that he's stolen from other people, that wasn't the thing that made him saved. The thing that made him saved was this, that he accepted Jesus. Because you can only be saved by the grace of God. You cannot be saved by your works. 
But it is really good to see that Zacchaeus understood that he was not going to let things get in the way of that relationship that Jesus wanted to form with him. Even though the crowd was saying, yuck, even though the crowd was saying, disgusting, even though the crowd was, you know, can you imagine that in this day and age? Can you imagine? Twitter would have blown up. Instagram would have been outraged. Facebook would have been going crazy. Jesus has gone to Zacchaeus's house. You know, what are all the other things these days? Snapchat, and I don't even know how all that stuff works. TikTok, I don't understand it all. You know, my generation is still stuck in Facebook. You can actually tell how old you are by the mode of, of, of social internet stuff you have. You know, is there anything, is TikTok still the rage or is there something else now? Sorry? Be real. Anyone heard of Be Real? Eh, I am so old. I was born pre-internet. Not as bad as some of you. Some of you were born pre-electricity. Just want to sneak that in there. Can you imagine today's world? All social media would have blown up. Jesus is going to Zacchaeus' house. How disgusting. Then the trolls would start. Then this would start. Then that would start. And before long, it's like, but Zacchaeus didn't care about any of that stuff. Jesus didn't care about any of that stuff. Jesus didn't care that Zacchaeus was a thief. Jesus didn't care that Zacchaeus had some issues. He just said, hey, I want relationship with you. Guess what? He doesn't care where you've been. He doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care what your life was yesterday, the things you've even done today. His, his care is this. He wants relationship with you. He's willing to forgive when you come to him. When you come to him and accept him as Lord and Saviour of your life, when you're willing to turn from your sin, he says, come on in because I want to have fellowship with you. That's what I love about the God we serve. And so there's two extremes here. A young man was challenged. He had to get rid of the things that were going to cause hindrance in his life to that relationship that Jesus decided. And he went away sad. Then you have Zacchaeus who says, you know what, without prompting, he goes, you know what, I'm just going to get rid of some stuff out of my life so I can follow you. I'm going to make right some of the stuff I've done wrong so I can follow you. I'm going to do my best to follow you all the days of my life. If we can have the musos back, that would be fantastic. And if everyone else would like to stand up, personally think, I personally think that you're more concerned with where you've been, with who you are, than what God is. He's willing to say, just come on in, just come on in. I'll accept you, just come on in. You know, many years ago there was a saying floating around for a while where it was just come as you are. That's what you've got to do, just come as you are. He's, he's not concerned. He doesn't want to leave you where you are. You know, he wants to apply his grace to your life where all of a sudden it's like you can live a better life, but he's wanting you just to come as you are, to accept him as Lord and Savior of your life. Yes, we have to repent of sin, he says that. He says you have to repent of sin. But he also says that what he wants to do is he wants to make you into something really special, really special. So tonight in this place, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour of your life, or if you're watching online tonight and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour of your life, I would love to give you opportunity to do that. And the way we're going to do that tonight is we're just going to say a simple prayer together. And it's a prayer of salvation. And if you want to accept him as Lord and Saviour of your life, then you need to do this with all your heart, whether you're watching online 
or whether you're here in this place. So simply repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to be the sacrifice for my sin. I come to you tonight as a child. I ask Jesus to come into my heart to wash me clean of all sin. I repent of the wrong things I've done and I turn to you tonight as Lord and Saviour of my life. I thank you for the change that is happening in my heart in this very moment. I give you all glory and all honour in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're in this place tonight and you've said that prayer for the first time or maybe it's been a prayer of rededication, I'd love to speak with you after the service today. Don't just rush off. Come and search me out and um, just say, hey, you know that prayer? I said it tonight for the first time. Or if you're online, you can get in contact with us on our website on the contact page. We would love to hear from you so we can connect you with a good church that is going to help you in your relationship with Jesus. Thank you for listening to today's podcast from Living Waters Church, Kyabram. Don't forget, you can find us at www.lwkyabram.com.